So we are on lesson two here of our foundational truth study. Last week was just a, an introduction. Um, I shouldn't say just an introduction. It was a very important introduction. Uh, we were talking about the importance of the truth. And not just based on our own opinion or anything like that. What do we look at? What do we allow to explain to us how important the truth was? Scripture, yeah, the truth. We let the truth tell us how important uh, truth is. And so we looked at that, and we saw that truth is uh, pretty important, didn't we? Did I put your book over there? Okay, awesome. Did you hand it back there so she's got it? Okay, cool. All right, so the scripture told us that truth is very important. Uh, we saw things like uh, we, we can't worship without truth. We saw that truth makes us free from uh, sin and, and the uh, impending death to come because of that sin, the bondage to sin and to temptation. We saw that it's the message of truth. It's the gospel of salvation. Uh, the message of truth is the gospel. It is saving. Uh, we saw that we can't put on the new self without a knowledge of, an understanding of, and an application of the truth. Um, all these different things, I won't belabor the points here, every single one of them or anything, but we saw how important it was and we said that this class is designed to uh, build and solidify our faith. It's also to unite us as a church as we study it together. We know what we believe, why we believe it, where it is, that it's in the scripture. We didn't just kind of come up with it. It's not a church of Christ doctrine. It's the church of Christ's Doctrine. I mean, it is the Lord's doctrine. It's his church and it's his truth, okay? And so uh, we said it's also, though, for us to multiply our faith into others. So we can learn this for ourselves. We can solidify our faith in this truth. And then we can use this information and go out and share it with other people, people who will, on a regular basis, sit down with us. If they'll commit to uh, doing a few weeks with us, and if they like it, we keep going and we get through the whole book. That's great, too. However, however we can make this work, we want to try to use this information to get a start with people. And if we get a start with people, we might get to keep going. You know, you may, you may just have a simple uh, invitation to come over for dinner, and you may be able to break this book out and the Bible with them and give them their own copy and, and get this going. Now, of course, I'm, I'm talking about they kind of know we're going to do this. I'm not, I'm not saying you invite somebody over for dinner and then you're like, oh, by the way, I've got, I've got this book. Okay, that's, that's a, kind of a, a bait and switch sort of thing. And um, we talked about shysters this morning, right? And they're going to quickly think that you might be one. <laughs> Boy, that'd be a good sermon series. You might be a shyster if. All right. Um, or a stand-up comedy routine. I'm not sure which. But, um, but anyway, if, if you can, if you have someone that you know might listen to you uh, and they might be willing to study the Bible with you, tell them, well, why don't you just come over for dinner and, you know, we'll just sit and have a, a good time around the dinner table and then maybe we'll crack open the Bible and, and talk about some things and see what kind of questions you have or kind of see where you're at. And maybe you can start with this, um, get a start with them on this and then see if they'll keep coming and if you, if you can get them to commit to continuing to come. Then you get through this whole book and you have now shared all this information and a person probably has never been more prepared to become a Christian in the, the history of evangelization than when you've sat down and gone through this whole thing with them. Because not that it's everything a person needs to know, but it is certainly everything a person needs to know to start the journey as a Christian. 
so they are uh, solid before they try to take off and fly. They've got, they've got that footing under them. They've got wings to fly with, and it's all based on God's word, uh, not doctrine that needs to fly right out the window and, you know, <laughs> leave that alone like what the world is, is throwing at a lot of people. So, so the truth is very important, and with that being said, uh, we're ready for lesson two, which is about seeking God. And again, these lessons are not, the, the, the titles are maybe, as you go through and you probably thumb through the book and look, they're not the most flowery, poetic kind of things. But if you give them a chance and you look at the scriptures and you look at these points, what each point is bringing out from the scripture drawing out, you see how important it is, not just that we seek God. We're not just saying like you need to seek God. But how important it is to understand how God expects to be sought after. How, how you actually go about seeking God. How important it is and how you do it, okay? And, and, and much more. But let's just jump right on in rather than uh, continuing to, to kind of intro the, the, the title here. So look at Psalm 119 at the top of your page there in your book. Psalm 119 verses 1 and 2 says, How blessed are those whose way is blameless. Now make sure as we read through this, because I know I do this, I'm sure other people do it as well, I've talked to some other people who do it, um, it's easy to kind of just blah, 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 blah with scripture and kind of hear a, a little bit of a drone. Let's plug in to exactly what the scripture's actually saying. How blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. How blessed are those who observe his testimonies who seek him with all their heart. Now, in a very basic sense, I mean, we could break open the word blessed in the Greek and really, you know, go wild on it. But in its basic sense, uh, to be blessed in, in the Bible, when the Bible says be blessed, it's talking about a, a full happiness, being fully happy. Not a fleeting happiness, not a temporary happiness or happiness that's based on, uh, you know, immediate circumstances and scenarios and situations, things like that. But it's talking about the kind of happiness that you get when everything that really matters is okay. How often in your life is everything, not, just, not everything that matters, but I mean everything okay? Never, right? Never is everything okay. There's always something that's on fire. There's always something that's, that's falling in and falling over. You know, there's always chaos going on around us. That's not fully happy. We can be happy in moments. Certain people can make us happy. Certain things can make us happy. But to be fully happy, to, to be filled with happiness is more like what we typically call like joy or the joy of the Lord. But, but to be blessed means to be fully happy, to not be one of these that's constantly having to worry about the chaos of these other issues and things that go on. Because you know, the things that matter, the things that can't be taken away are taken care of. We, we're on the right track with those things. And so wouldn't it be nice to be in that situation? Because let's be honest, no one gets to be in the situation where nothing in their life is wrong. Everybody's in the situation where some things, and in many cases, most of us, many things, if we were to make a list, hopefully we're not so negative that we would make that list. But if you made a list, a lot of us probably have a lot of things, a lot of things that are giving us trouble. 
wouldn't it be nice to be able to do the one thing that you actually can do and to be fully happy, to be blessed the way that God makes us blessed, the way that you can know in him through the truth and through seeking him that you can have what really matters all taken care of. So all these things that do create some temporary chaos in our lives, we'll handle them but they're not the, the biggest issue in our lives. Our spiritual walk is the biggest issue in our lives. Um, raising others to walk in uh, that way is the biggest deal in our lives, that kind of stuff, okay? It would be nice to be able to be blessed, to be fully happy in that way, right? Well, that's what we wanna go after, and this scripture tells us how to do that. It says, blessed are those who do this, blessed are those who do that, blessed are those who observe his testimony, who seek him with all their heart. Uh, so if you are searching seeking the happiness, you won't find it. It'll be temporary, okay? If you're seeking God, you'll get the full happiness, okay? If, you, if you're just seeking after the feeling of happiness, if that's what you're seeking, and a lot of people that you might sit down with, that's kind of where they're at. They're like, I'm looking for something that's gonna make me feel happy. Like, I wanna wake up feeling happy. I wanna go to bed feeling happy. I wanna go to work feeling happy. You know, they, they're chasing the happiness, and when you seek the feeling, when you seek the emotion or the, the condition, the status, whatever you want to call it, if that's what you're seeking, you don't actually get it. You get little, little flare-ups of it. You know, every once in a while, you know, boy, I'm going through a little happy spell here. But that's about it. When you seek God, though, look, it says, blessed are those who observe his testimonies who seek him with all their heart. You see, if you seek God, the result will be this full happiness. This, this blessedness that, that God can give. Uh, but to seek God, as the third point says there, you must seek him with all your heart. The, the Bible never ever even seems to imply that we can do this sort of part-time or that we can sort of dabble in it and, and he'll show how powerful he is. If you'll just, if you'll just kind of put your toe in the water a little bit, he'll, he'll prove it to you. No, you're, we have to, we're expected to, to trust in him completely, to look at what he's already done, to trust what he's already said, and to step into that. Oh, and then absolutely he will show you. You will see beyond the shadow of a doubt that, that he's got you. You're, you're all right. You will be blessed if you seek him with all your heart. Um, and, and to observe his testimonies, that's what seeking God um, would include. If you seek God, you're going to observe his testimonies, the things that he has said, his word. Uh, that fourth point says seeking God means to observe his testimony. So when it says, how blessed are those who observe his testimonies, comma, who seek him with all their heart, everything after the comma is an explanation of what is said before the comma. You see, we talk like that sometimes, right? We'll, we'll say something. Um, uh, scripture talks about it when um, Ananias tells uh, Saul at the time, the Apostle Paul, you know, get up, uh, calling on the name of the Lord, washing away your sins, right? That's what calling on the name of the Lord is, that baptism, that washing away of the sins, doing that by his authority. That is calling on his name, calling on his authority, right? After that comma there, that's the explanation. How blessed are those who observe his testimony who seek him with all their heart. You're not actually observing his testimonies, whether you think you are or not, if you're not seeking him with all your heart. You may be picking a few here and there. You may be doing the things that are convenient in the moment, but you are not seeking him with all your heart 
unless you are observing his testimonies. And you're not really observing his testimonies unless you're seeking him with all your heart. You can't do one but not the other. All right? So to seek him, we need to seek him to be blessed. That's the main thing we need to take away from that. If we want to be blessed, if we want that full happiness, we've got to seek him. Look at the next passage here. This talks about uh, priority when it comes to seeking him. We've already talked about seeking him with all our heart, obviously. And so, so we, we get that it's going to take a level of diligence. And we're going to have to be committed to this. But look at Matthew 6, 31 through 34. We're all familiar with this in this room. Um, Do not worry then, Jesus says, saying, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. Did you see that? They eagerly seek all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need these things, but, verse 33 says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So, Rather than, uh, again, this is kind of uh, another way of telling us, rather than seeking after the happiness or seeking after the things we, even the things we think we need, again, put the focus on seeking God. Seek God and these things are taken care of. They may come a little later than you want them to. Maybe a close call now and again. Uh, You may not get the way you wanted it, but it might come to you a different way. But what you need to survive in this world, God knows the stuff you need. And there's something we could really um, talk to folks about, um, but, but we need to hear it as well, is that God knows what you need. And in some cases, you don't know what you need, right? God, God knows that if we got this or if we got that, and if we sought after it hard enough, we could probably get it. We need to be seeking after him because if we go after it and we get it and he wouldn't have given us that, we might put ourselves in a position to be tempted and, and it might take our focus off of him. We might use it in a way we shouldn't use it. God knows what we need. And it's important to, um, I don't know of any other way to say it than to just kind of rest and be okay with that. <laughs> be okay that God knows what you need and, and he'll see to it that you have what you need if you seek after him. Uh, I'd rather have what God thinks I need than what I think I need. And when you say it like that, I know it sounds obvious, but how many times are we actually behaving that way? So don't worry about this stuff. Uh, Don't worry about your life. Um, Again, don't focus on the results you're trying to achieve. Focus on seeking God and the results that you need to be achieving Will, will be achieved. Uh, again, God knows your needs. We need to seek first, as first priority is what this is talking about. It's a prioritization thing, not a, not a time thing. Don't, don't check this off the list. Well, I, I sought God today, and now I'm ready to do all these other things. No, we need to be seeking him as first priority. So in everything that's on our to-do list, we need to be seeking God in that. So if I'm selling used cars this afternoon. I need to be doing that in a, an upright, honest, moral, godly way. Uh, I'm not saying that a lot of used car salespeople don't do that. I'm just saying whatever I may be doing, I need to be seeking God in that. I need to be shining the light and I need to be uh, finding ways to honor him through that. So seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and God will provide what you need. So again, you see how important it is that we seek God. Not just the people we might be sitting down and sharing this with, but we need to, we've got to be doing this. As Christians, we've got to be seeking God as first priority. All right, look at Acts chapter uh, 17 now. Uh, This is a very interesting passage of scripture that I don't know 
how often we really um, stop here. We read before it, after it, over it, and all that good stuff. But look at these two verses. And he made from one man every nation. This is Paul um, talking to um, those uh, philosophers. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. Look at verse 27. That they would seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and exist, as even some of your own poets have said, for we also are his children. So this is Paul, Mars Hill we call it, um, but he's, he's addressing the Areopagus. These are these philosophers um, who would go to this, this hill and they would exchange philosophies. They were always interested in hearing new ideas, new things that were um, going on. And so they heard Paul talking about this resurrection down in the city. And so they invited him to come and talk to them. And so he uh, is, is the master of being all things to all people, finding a, a common point to sort of um, use to, I don't want to say used his advantage in a bad way, but used his advantage meaning like, hey, here's some common ground. Let's, let's talk about the Lord. And he would bring it up. So what he did is he noticed in the city there's all these idols, all these um, statues and monuments set up, and they had one to the unknown God, right? You guys know what we're talking about here? There's one to the unknown God just in case they missed one, right, basically. And so he's like, I actually know about this unknown God. And so he's telling them about this unknown God. And what he says about him is what's important though. Look, it says he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. Now, what do you suppose the appointed time is? What are the appointed times? Okay, Paul did say that, but what do you, what do you believe? I, I don't think that's what he's talking about here. It says that God has determined the appointed times of every man, every uh, person on this earth. What are our appointed times? When we're born, right? We don't know when we'll, we'll die. Lots of different things can attribute to that. But our birth... Uh, God is fully involved in that. So with that being said, what do you think the boundaries of our habitation would be that God is in control of? Where we're born, right. Yeah, so, so this says that God has determined when and where we, we would be born. And now look at the scripture, why? Why did God decide that you would be born when you were born and where you were born? so that we would have the best chance to seek him. He determined our appointed times and the boundaries of our habitation so that we would seek him. We, we, if we might grope for him, we can find him. And Paul says, though he's not far from each one of us, because how far is God from you right now? Verse 28, he said, for in him we live, in him we move, in him we exist. Even as some of your own poets have said, for we are also are his children. We are in his world, right? He is among us. And then if we want to go a little deeper into uh, how far are we from a relationship with him, you know, well, from about that pew to that plexiglass, you know, I mean, that's putting it in a 
maybe a, a little silly way, but you know, it doesn't take a lot in the sense of like complications. There's not a lot of red tape to get to God. There's not a physical journey that has, you got to pack rations and supplies and hope to survive the winter on this mountain as you're trekking to where God is to try to find him, right? There, there's, it's not like that. You just have to make up your mind that you trust him and that you're going to follow him and then do, you know, take pride out of the equation, humble yourself before him and do what he's called you to do. Right? He, he isn't in that sense very far from us either, right? But, but what I want us to see is that God has placed us, and this is what you want to share with your student if you're going through this book, God has placed you in the time and place where you uh, were born, time and place for your birth, so that you could seek him. Now again, when it comes to our death, there's a lot of things that can attribute to that. Uh, we can go just about wherever we want to go on this earth as well. There's lots of ways to get around. But as far as where you're born, God has placed you where you needed to be to have the best opportunity to find him, to, to seek him. And if you do seek him, you will find him. So God determines the time, the place of each person's life. Uh, such things are set in motion for one reason, that we might find God. That's what he's doing. He's not far from anyone. And if a Christian meets you and shares the gospel with you, it is not by chance. It is God's work. We'll talk more about that here in just a little bit. Uh, but, but that's something that would be very valuable, I believe, to go over with a student, if you're sitting down telling them this, that, look, the fact that you're seeking God here, uh, here and now is not some coincidence. I'm not saying that God has in any way made you a, a robot and he's directing you and this is all outside of your control. But what I am saying is that God is involved and God is helping. God's doing what he can do and he's placed you where he can place you. He wants you to seek him. He's like, here I am, come to me. And it's up to you still to, to come to him you know, child's first steps, you can say, come here, buddy, and they can turn around and go the other way, but you're not far from them. You're right there, and you sat them there so that they would walk to you. That's, that's kind of a real simplistic version of the picture that maybe, maybe we could see that, that God has done. He's placed us so that we're not far from him, that we would come, we would seek him. The thing we want to take away from Acts 17 is that God's placed us in the best situation we could be in to seek God, to, to find God, okay? Now look at the next passage, John 4, 23 and 24. It says, but an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks. Look, now the Father is seeking. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. All right, so God is expecting people who are going to seek him. People who are going to worship in spirit and in truth, who are going to be diligent enough to do that, to do it um, on the, the spirit level, to do it uh, with their emotions, to be really dedicated and committed, but to do it the right way, to use the truth, to study it so that they know the truth. That's the kind of people God is seeking. Okay? He, he wants, he desires that kind of person, uh, people who are going to worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, look at Acts 17 right below there, verses 10, and 10 through 12. It says, the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. Okay, so this is where we're going, Berea. And when they arrived in Berea, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Again, in 
Berea. <laughs> Verse 11. Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed along with a number of prominent Greek women and men. So we just saw that God was seeking those who would worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, were these people seeking God through the truth or what? I mean, look at what they were willing to do. Um, they've got a, an all-star preacher, a hot commodity, somebody that, you know, had been, uh, you know, converted to Christ and then was setting the world uh, on fire for the Lord. And they're like, well, that's great. They were excited, but they were searching the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. They were that um, committed, diligent about the scripture and the truth and wanting to know it so that they could worship God the right way, to, to worship him in a way that's acceptable to him, that they were willing, uh, willing and, and they did, search the scriptures daily to see if what Paul was saying was the truth. An inspired apostle of Christ, they are searching uh, the scriptures to see if what he's saying is actually the truth. Now, what we get from this is that the Bible tells us. We've already talked about the fact that we need to be committed to the truth and we need to study out the truth and know uh, things for, our, for ourselves and all that stuff. But here's an example in the Bible of some people who actually did that. So it's not just, a, not just an idea, a concept for people to do this. We've got an example of people doing it. And what do, what, what's important about the fact that they did it? it, it what does the Bible say about them? Good stuff or bad stuff? It says they're more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. We have an example of people who are this dedicated to the truth the way they should be. And the Bible commends them for that dedication. And so if we want to be commended the way the Bereans were here, if we look at what, what the Bible um, commended about them, said was good, what were they doing? They were searching the scriptures daily. And so we ought to follow that example and read our Bibles, study our Bibles, search out what our preacher said and what that teacher said. We ought to be doing that daily. Do we, do we receive the word with eagerness? You know, someone who's seeking God, if you're sitting down with a student, we ought to encourage them uh, to, to get to this point if they're not already. You might be sitting with somebody who's on fire and is just eating this stuff up. I hope you are. That'd be a great situation to be in. But you also might be with somebody who could just use some encouragement to say, look at these guys. The Bible said just the fact that they were searching the scriptures daily to see what the truth was for sure for themselves, that that was to be commended. Let's do that together. Like you should do that. I should do that. We can do that together. That's something to share with a, a disciple that you might be uh, working with. But we need to do that as well. And, and it, we need to point it out to the church and we should probably point it out to a student we might be sitting with as well is that don't think in the back of your mind, yeah, but you know, this is a different uh, time in history and a different society. Um, they didn't have the busy schedules like we do today. In the society they lived in, everything, I mean, not literally everything, but a lot of the things that they had, they had to produce. 
They had to spend time making their clothing. They had to spend time dyeing the clothing, um, sewing the clothing. They had to spend time planting the food that they were going to um, reap the harvest from and actually eat and feed their families. And, and you may say, well, they also went to the market. Yeah, but not everyone can just go to the market. Somebody has to be making this stuff. And so a lot of people would, I'll make this, I'll take it to the market, and I'll buy all the other stuff, right? Everybody had stuff they were doing. They were busy too. They had busy schedules as well. They were working very hard. We might get mentally exhausted at work, you know, with an office job, or we might even get physically exhausted with a physical job, whatever the case may be. These people had to be both, you know, and I'm not saying that we're any um, more or less necessarily, or that I know we're more or less busy, but I'm just saying if you run into somebody or if you happen to be this, this person that's thinking that, these people had uh, busy schedules as well, and they were committed to the truth. They were committed to seeking God uh, through the truth, making sure that they knew what was true. And one last uh, little tidbit, one little nugget uh, of wisdom, maybe, I hope it is, is going along with the idea of studying daily, is that if we get ourselves in the habit of studying and reading sporadically, that produces sporadic Christianity. When you're consistently studying the Word of God, that produces consistent Christianity. When you're going through a, um, an on-fire time, boy, it's a lot easier to, to kind of live a moral life and to stand up for, for what you believe in and, and to be able to share knowledgeably with other people and answer questions and find ways, opportunities to bring up the Word of God. But when you're not and you're kind of, you know, really busy and you're not studying the Word of God daily, then you find that that's not so much the case. You're, you're kind of rusty, right? You got to stay in it. Sporadic study produces sporadic Christianity. Consistent study produces consistent Christianity. All right, go to that next page, page three here. Up at the top there, Jeremiah 29, uh, verses 11 through 14. And bear with me. Yes, I know this does not directly uh, apply to us. God was not specifically um, talking um, about us today. But there is an application uh, that, that we, will, we will share, some applications here. Jeremiah 29, verses 11 through 14. Um, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. So, so note that these are God's plans. God has plans for his people. Plans for welfare and not for calamity. That's not what God wants. To give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. So obviously the, the, the people of this directly, literally every bit of this applied to, uh, was given to, were the Israelites who had been driven into exile, as it says there at the, the very end. And God was going to literally, from the, the physical nations, geographic places on the map, um, bring them back, a, a remnant, some of them, back to um, the, the, the homeland, Jerusalem and the surrounding areas. All right, God was going to do that. But what we can see from this that applies to us is that God has plans for his people. 
Okay? We don't just kind of get to choose, right? We seek God so that we can get on his plan. We seek God so that we can get on his path because his plans, generally speaking, are what's listed here. His plans are for our welfare, not for calamity. He doesn't want you to do what he wants you to do so that he can hurt you, so that he can create chaos in your life. His plans are for your own good. If you seek him, he says that we will be found by him and then he will, uh, he says here, literally, he's going to restore their fortunes and gather them. But for us as spiritual Israel today, this does have an application in the sense that he will restore us spiritually. What we lost through sin, we'll gain back. We'll gain back our, our righteous standing, our reconciled, we'll be reconciled to God so that we'll have a, a good standing restored uh, to God. And we will uh, be, we will find God if we seek him and we, we come to him and we pray to him and we, we're genuinely seeking him. All this stuff does have a spiritual application, okay? God's plans are to prosper us with a hope and a future, right? I mean, today, it, is, is God not giving us a future and a hope? How often do Christians talk about the future? Pretty often. We don't want to talk in, a, in an anxious, nervous, uh, worried kind of way. We want to talk in a terms of heaven and how great it's going to be and that one day all this stuff we're dealing with, we're not going to have to deal with in heaven, right? He's, we talk all the time about a future. The Lord has talked about our future and wants us focused on the future, on heaven with him, right? And is that not hope? says future and hope. Has he not given us a future and has he not given us hope? That future is our hope. Christ himself is our hope and eternity with him is our hope, okay? So God has plans for us. His plans are for good things, for, for a hope and a future. And here's something we, we need to understand and again share with our student is that when we seek God and he will restore us, his plans, his path, the, the path he wants to set us on, it's always better than whatever we could come up with. Now, a Christian audience, a group of, of people that are part of the church, that sounds really, really obvious. But you're going to want to want to talk with a, a student that you may be going through this book with about this and explain, you may have things that you think sound more fun than God's plans or what you perceive to be God's plans maybe you may have things that you think may make you more successful may bring you more happiness may bring you more consistent happiness and and may kind of put you on a, a plane or a level where you think is where you should be but the problem is all that stuff can get pulled away all that stuff can be destroyed. All that stuff is passing away. Uh, usually that stuff is a lifelong pursuit and you never quite get there. And the little, the little marks that you can, you know, tick off and say, you know, hey, I did this and I did that. You get there and then it's kind of like, okay, now what? You know? It's usually not what, I mean, I've got to experience that through just a few things, you know, this job or that job, or, or I got a, a, a car that was, you know, only five or six years old and like, a, I've never had a car this new, you know, and it's like, oh, well, it's not really that fancy and, it, you know, it breaks down too, you know, it turns out and it's more expensive to fix, you know, like, like all this stuff though in, in life is, is that way. God's plans are always better than our plans and they certainly turn out better than our plans and that's really what makes them better, right? 
is that the ultimate result, the way they turn out, is always going to be better. God's way, definitely better. And uh, we learn from this passage that you will find God's plan. You can underline will. (laughs) You will find God's plan when you seek him again with all your heart. Not part of the way, not part time, not now and again, but you will find God's plan when you seek him with all your heart. You'll end up on his path where he wants you when you're seeking him with all your heart. Remember that first passage we went over uh, that said, How blessed are those who observe his testimonies, who seek him with all their heart. You're going to be observing his testimonies as you seek him with all your heart, and that's going to put you on his path. You'll be working God's plan when you're observing his testimonies, which happens when you seek him with all your heart. Okay, so this all ties together. Now look at uh, this uh, somewhat lengthy passage here, the next passage, Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 39. Um, Here is a passage that kind of addresses the idea of God uh, at work and how he is at work to put um, the gospel in front of people, okay? Uh, People who need and are ready to hear it. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got up and he went. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. Philip ran up and heard him uh, reading Isaiah, the prophet, and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up with him or to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. As they went along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized them. When they came up from the water, came up out of the water, I'm sorry, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. Now, Is the Spirit speaking audibly? Is the Spirit snatching people away, transporting people from here to there uh, today? No. We're we're dealing with a time in history where uh, God was doing miraculous things to set his church into motion, to put the church uh, into motion. It's just like uh, we're all familiar with and comfortable with the idea we understand why the apostles were performing miracles and were laying hands on people so that they could then uh, do miraculous things. He was confirming his word, confirming his messengers as sharing his word. And so the, the spirit was definitely at work in a more, we, we would call it a more direct way, a, a more visible way for sure in this sense. So we're not going to say that the Spirit is going to speak to Connie and tell her to go to Dillsboro tomorrow because there's somebody on the side of Highway 50 in the eastbound lane across from the Dollar General and they're going to be studying the Scripture and you need to talk to them. It's not going to happen. 
we're, we're in a different time in history, in different era uh, of history here. And the Lord only does things when there is a purpose. And there is not a purpose for you and me to, to run around hearing audibly from the Spirit and going and, and doing things at, his, at uh, his beck and call. Instead, what we do is we have a very complete word from the Spirit that has told us exactly what to do and we will run into people in front of the Dollar General in Dillsboro in the perhaps even in the eastbound lane of Highway 50. I don't know. Uh, be careful. Be careful if you do that. That's, uh, I think the speed limit is 60 there so you know they're driving at least 70. Um, but this does demonstrate a principle that, that God has, has, has prescribed that the way people are going to hear his gospel is through Christians, through those who already know and have received and have accepted his gospel and have accepted the responsibility to protect it and to preserve it and to go and proclaim it, right? And, and so that's how it's happening today. Now, something I want to focus on, and this is especially what we want to focus on with someone we might be working through this book with, is look at the example of the eunuch. As Christians in the church today, we're always talking about, look what Philip did. The Spirit told him to go and he went. Look, we're always teaching an evangelism lesson out of this. And that's fine. I'm not harping on that and saying we shouldn't. I'm just saying, let's look at the other side of this. Let's look and see what's to be learned from the Ethiopian man. Look what he did. He was already studying the scriptures. He was already seeking God, right? Because here's this man from Ethiopia, not exactly, you know, the outskirts of Jerusalem going uh, from, a, from a group of people who were not exactly Jews and going into Jerusalem to worship in a place that we learned through the tabernacle class, he wasn't exactly allowed to even go inside of. You know, it, this is, it's not equivalent at all. But maybe we could illustrate this by saying like, you loved a sports team so much that you were willing to go and just stand outside the stadium and listen to the roar and the, the cheers as good things were happening and, and the, the, the boos and the oh, you know, in unison when, when the bad things were happening. Now, today though, there's, there's scoreboards and there's video boards and you think, well, I could see the game and that might actually be cool. But let's, let's think about in this instance, there's no video boards. There's no audio being piped out there on what's going on in the temple right now. This is just someone who's gone to Jerusalem because this is what he thought as someone seeking God he needed to do. Wasn't even allowed to go in to the temple or the courtyard or any of that stuff. He was very much an outsider in this case. So he's seeking God, but, but look, there's more than that. He wasn't afraid to ask questions. He wasn't afraid to ask for help. He had humbled himself to the point that he was seeking God at such a level that his pride was out of the way. Now, does this sound valuable to show someone, to point out to someone, if you're trying to share this information with them, to show them how valuable it is to seek God the way this, this Ethiopian man was? I hope you can see that. This would be incredibly valuable to show them that, that look, this guy, pride was gone. He saw the importance of seeking God in such a way that he was willing to humble himself and ask questions. I mean, he was reading the scripture. Philip's like, hey, what are you reading? Well, I'm reading this, and here's what it says. And, and then Philip's like, well, do you understand? How many people, if you said, if I read a particular scripture in front of somebody, anybody, I don't care if it's church people or not church people. I read a scripture, and it's like, you understand what that means? They'd probably be like, well, I mean, you know. I mean, they wouldn't just say no. They might be too afraid to say, oh, yeah, I know what that means. Because they think I'd say, tell me. 
you know, they'd be a little afraid. But they're going to kind of go, well, you know, I mean, I, I think I kind of sort of understand. I can't really put into words what it said, but, you know, like they kind of backtrack a little bit, but they try to sort of, you know, they're protecting. They don't want me to think that they're totally ignorant, right? People, people do that. This guy wasn't there. He was humble enough because he was seeking God at such a um, genuine level that that pride was gone. He just wanted to know the truth. He was seeking God with everything to the point that he was willing to ask the questions to be humble enough to do that. Now, there's more to his example. Look at that next bullet point there. He made a decision about what he learned, right? He, he, um, he made choices. Um, we need to do something about what we find. When, we, when we're seeking God and we're, we're seeking truth and we're seeking greater knowledge, we as Christians need to do this. But boy, we got to share this with people when we're, when we're uh, sharing information from this book with them, when we're trying to sit down and disciple them, create a disciple that hopefully will become a, uh, a full-fledged, converted um, Christian. We got to share this with them. We got to show them that we got to do something with the information. I don't know how many of you have, have done this, but it happens pretty often. You can share a lot of information with somebody and the lights can kind of turn on and they can say like, you know, I really appreciate you sharing, me, sharing that with me. I, I've never heard it explained that way before. And you're like, hey, I'm getting somewhere with this person. And maybe you'll go a few weeks with them and they'll be texting you or maybe you call or you talk at work or whatever the case may be. There's contact for a while. And then it just kind of goes away because they didn't do anything with the information. We, we've got we've to teach that to people. We've got to show that example to people to say, look, this is another example of we're, God's not that far from us. You learn it and, and the scripture says do this or God wants this. Become that. Start doing that. It's as simple as that. If you're going to seek God, seek him with the... With the um, the expectation that I'm going to do something with this information. I'm going to do what the scripture says to do. And we've got that from the Ethiopian here. He didn't sit on this information. He did something about what he learned. And after that, he went away rejoicing when he found God. Does that sound like somebody who might be fully happy? Does that sound like somebody who was blessed uh, by what they found when they sought God? Absolutely. He um, recognized that God's plans were better than his plans. He was happy to find God. All of these sort of things. Okay, so, so we need to spend a little bit of time focusing, uh, emphasizing, I should say, the Ethiopian's example. Because he's a great example as well. Now that last scripture, very quickly. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 uh, through 8 says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks it will be opened. Now, the only reason that you would argue with this and I think a lot of people actually do. People will say, you know, like, I don't know, I've done a lot of knocking in my day, a lot of seeking and I've not found, the door's not been opened to me. It's like we're expecting, maybe not we, but people are expecting something super unrealistic. Something that's never been demonstrated for us in the scriptures. Something that we have no reason to expect other than just kind of selfish reasons where we want this portal to just open up. Something from a sci-fi movie almost. Like, like, like we want to say, you know, we, we want one of these moments that, oh, they, they make people hysterical in these religious movies where, you know, they'll, you know, oh God, 
if you will just forgive me for murdering, the, you know, whatever. And then something happens. There's a lightning strike outside the window. And someone they haven't seen for years and they thought was dead came walking up to the front door. Like they want something weird to happen. They want some, like, like an actual door to, and then be like, was it a ghost or was it God? Like they want something dramatic like that. And, and I'm not saying that God isn't dramatic. Like God's epic. God's powerful. But God's not doing stuff like that that he's never told us about. Like he's not going to do something in your life that he's never told us about or given us an example of. If he says he works this way, this is the way he works. Now, we also have to say, what example do we have? When it comes to knocking or asking or seeking, can we just kind of go, God, if you're real, please show yourself? Is that asking? Is that seeking in the biblical sense? No. What, what do we say before? With all our heart. As first priority. With diligence and great eagerness and all these things. This is realistic. That's realistic. So when the Bible says um, everybody who asks receives, everybody who seeks finds, and to him who knocks will be open, and you're like, that doesn't seem very realistic because I've done some asking and seeking and knocking and no portals have opened up, no lightning strikes have happened, and no people have, you know, seemingly risen from the dead, you know, and weird stuff happening where I just, it's got to be God. No, that's happened. Or, you know, well, I sort of prayed and I sort of asked and I sort of knocked and I went to church on Easter and, you know, all this stuff. That's not the way it works. It's, you've got to define what's being said, these phrases and these words, based on everything else in the Bible. It would be totally unrealistic to think that you could kind of half-heartedly do this. Or you could do this in a, uh, an I hope it works kind of way. You know, or I kind of think it might sort of way. That, all that stuff, crossing your fingers, toes and eyes and everything else. That's not biblical. We've got to do it genuinely, honestly, with all our heart. And then I don't think anyone can argue if you said, here's the deal. Do you think everybody who's completely genuine, 100%, they mean it. They're looking for God. They're seeking God. They're turning over every rock. They're looking everywhere that that person will find God. Is anybody like immediately inclined to say, I doubt it? No, then it seems very realistic. And what, what the Lord is saying here in Matthew chapter 7 is just a, a very basic realistic statement. We're the ones that sometimes assign this like, you know, um, I don't know, he must mean something different because that's not the way it works in the real world. No, that is exactly the way it works in the real world. Everyone who seeks finds and only the people who actually genuinely seek find. Maybe that's the way we need to phrase it and think of it is that the only people who are going to find them, the only people who are going to have that door opened up to them are the people who are genuinely seeking him with all their heart. And so that's a great place to wrap up with your disciple is to say, so, so, so man, Get in this full-fledged. Like, like if you're holding back any, jump in with both feet. 
Um, start looking everywhere. Accept uh, that challenge I gave you last week and, and be reading the, the book of John or the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark. You know, be going through these things on a daily basis. Be like those Bereans who were seeking God at such a level that they were searching the scriptures every day. They didn't just go to church, which was great. You know, they didn't just show up at the synagogue and listen to, to Paul preach. They studied what he was talking about from the scriptures, from the written word of God, straight from the source to make sure that that was the case to make sure that that was the truth. Seek God that way. Tell your students, seek God that way. And we've got a promise. Honest, earnest seeking always equals finding. That's what the Bible says. That's what the Lord says. So seek Him. All these ways we've talked about. You know, that's why I said there's a great stopping point. There's a great landing place for this whole lesson because everything we've talked about, being fully happy, and that only coming when we don't chase the happiness, but instead we, we chase the God who gives the happiness. You know, when we don't worry about the things we're going to eat, drink, and wear, but instead uh, we, we worry about seeking Him in everything as first priority, His kingdom, and all these things. When we recognize that God has already blessed us in the sense that He's put us where we are in time and geographically speaking so that we have the best chance to find Him. All this stuff we've talked about, if you'll take full advantage of it, if you'll do it with an honest, genuine uh, heart and pure motives, He says, He promises you're going to find him. And we've got examples of that happening in Scripture. And so it's going to happen. We can, we can trust it. We can believe it, okay? So that's the lesson on seeking God. And um, it's, it's something that we as a church need to study. But um, obviously you can, I hope it's obvious, you can see how important it is to start with something like this. After the introduction and making sure that we're focused on truth. Make sure that, that we've got someone who realizes that what another church said or, or what my church says or what your uncle said or what your school teacher said, you know, none of that stuff is the ultimate authority. Maybe we don't want to say none of that stuff matters uh, because obviously it probably matters to them. But what we want to do is lay that foundation, that introduction of making sure that people understand, that we understand, but definitely if we're going to disciple someone, and we should be, that they understand that the truth, God's word is the truth and that it is critically important. And we cover that in the first lesson. And then we get to this idea of seeking God and how important it is that we are doing what our disciple is doing right now, seeking him, but that we're doing it God's way. And that we see what God's results are when we seek him. And, and that that seeking is with all of our heart, with diligence and great eagerness. And all that good stuff, okay? So this is, this is all laying the foundation before we get into, you know, discipleship and repentance and, you know, baptism and all that stuff. We don't, get, we don't touch any of that stuff before we make sure that our person, we, we're, we're spiritually grabbing them by the shoulders, lining them up straight before we send them in the right direction, okay? Before we lead them in that way, okay? That's kind of what we're doing with the introduction and with this Seeking God lesson. So I, I hope maybe that, that's beneficial for you to, to think of as you are considering, you know, really soaking this in in the way that, that your intentions are to then go and take this and share this with people.